been a good weekend so far. I got in Friday and I have enjoyed the hospitality of Eric and his family and your pastors. It's been, it's been a joy. I'm also the welcome recipient of apparently the second pulpit here. You guys have two pulpits. You guys have the tall pulpit for Eric and this one for me and, for me and Stephen, I guess. So thank you so much. Otherwise, we'd be having a situation. So thank you so much. Um, it's, uh, it's always a privilege to be present to our churches. We've got 125 churches across 30 states right now in the United States. And to be here in person, I'd be remiss if I didn't take some time like the Apostle Paul did uh, in many letters, like the letter to the church in Philippi, where he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. These last three and a half, almost four years, you guys have partnered with us in the gospel to spread. We've planted about 40 churches in that time period and helped hundreds and hundreds of pastors across the United States. So thank you, thank you, thank you. What I thought I'd do is introduce you to uh, this idea of church planting on this Missions Sunday. So the, the sermon is, is really why we plant churches, why we plant churches to advance the kingdom. Uh, and so in a minute, we'll get to some scripture. But growing up, I didn't hear much about church planting. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. It's part of a Southern Baptist church. My dad was a pastor there. And we didn't hear much about church planting. Our church was active in international missions. They were active in ministry in the local church. We did all kinds of stuff at the church. But we didn't really talk about church planning. That is until I got to Louisville, Kentucky in 2009. I became a student at Southern Seminary there and a member of Sojourn Community Church. And there I learned all kinds of stuff about church planning. I heard it from the stage. I heard it from sermons. I, I heard it in a pastoral training that was called pastor school uh, on Thursday mornings for a couple years. I heard it at seminary. I heard it all the time. 30 or 40 years ago, though, in ministry, if you felt a, what we call in this world, a call to ministry, the assumption was, I think you would be a senior pastor at a church, or you might go overseas and serve as an international missionary. But when I was coming through 15, 20 years ago and into my years at seminary in 2009 and 10, church planting became that thing that was almost assumed you would do if you felt a call to ministry. And so church planters are those men and women that, like international missionaries, are those who start new churches through evangelism and through leadership where there wasn't a church before. And so I thought that's what I would do. 2009, 2010, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a church planter. I was around church planters all the time. In fact, our church was a, a leading church in a network of churches called Acts 29 at the time. And then we decided, hey, we're going to start a, a new network birthed out of Acts 29 called Sojourn Network. And that's what we did in 2011. And I came on staff. And the goal was for me to jump in, help them administratively for a couple years, finish seminary, and then go start a church. I was around church planners every Thursday morning at 6.30, group of us around a table, 10 of us. Seven of those men went on to plant churches in our network, and three of us, the Lord took us in a different direction vocationally. And I became part of the staff at our network, and I've been on staff for 11 years there, and I have not planted a church. We're gonna come back to that at the end because most of us are not going to actually plant a church, are we? We're gonna have other roles in advancing the kingdom and advancing the gospel. But for those who are called, 
that's the ministry we do at Harbor Network to help start new churches, to help those leaders lead them well, and to help those churches grow and multiply and start new churches. When I was part of starting this network 11 years ago now, it was an exciting, exciting time. I caught the vision for why we plant churches. Now, in the last 13 years, we've also uncovered a lot of bad reasons to plant churches, and it's done a lot of damage for the kingdom. There's been a lot of podcasts that have talked about this, but I'm here today to tell you that there's some great reasons to plant churches, why we need to plant churches, and I'm going to offer four or five of them. One, there's a massive need for more churches in this country. Two, it's the best way, we think, to reach new believers who don't know Jesus. Third, we think it's a great way to renew churches that are established like you all, as well as communities and cultures. And fourth, we think it's the best way, not the only way, but the best way to advance what we call in the Christian world the Great Commission of Jesus. All right, so after working through these, we'll close with some ways that you all can participate with us in church planning. Sound good? Okay. Sound good? All right, all right, let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Father, I come before you as a, a servant of your word in need of your Holy Spirit to speak through me. May your word, as you promised, not go out void this morning. Would you stir hearts and minds? Would you bring renewal? Would you stir our imaginations to imagine Thousands more churches started for your glory and the good of many people and communities across the country. Or would you do it? Would you do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine? Starting right now in this moment, these next 30 minutes or so. Speak, Lord, your servant and your servants are listening. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the first reason we plant churches as churches is because there's a, a massive, an incredible need for new churches in the United States. When the country, when this country was started in 1776, around 17% of the U.S. population at that time could be categorized as religious adherents to Christianity. But by 1916, that figure had risen from 17% to 53%. What happened between those, those years? Well, a move of the Spirit coupled with a lot of church planting. So much so that between 1820 and 1914 alone, the U.S. went from having one church for every 875 U.S. residents to having one church for every 430 U.S. residents. So by the time World War I ended, we were at the, the peak of churches to population in this country. But over the last... 100 years or so, this ratio has dramatically dropped off. There's many reasons for that. The U.S. population has grown a lot since World War I. But also, there's been a resistance to church planting among a lot of these established churches. Uh, a, a turf war, a, comp a competitive spirit in a lot of places where churches say, no, we're not going to send out and start new churches in this area because that would take resources away from our church. And you would think with a kingdom mindset that this wouldn't be the reality, but friends, it has been the reality for the better part of 100 years. And so this leaves us at a really critical time in U.S. history. The polls would show that Christianity is on the decline in our country. The rise of those who claim no religious affiliation is now 20%. That was under 10% in 2000. It's now 20%. 
We have religious, religious affiliation is also on the decline. Church attendance is down from 70% to less than 50% for the first time since before World War I across the country. Secularism is increasing. If you talk to pastors and church planners who are in uh, the Northeast and on the coast and in the Pacific Northwest, they would say, this has been our reality for 25 years. This is just all moving south and to the Midwest very, very quickly. And at the same time, the population is increasing. Most estimates say by 2050, the U.S. is going to have a population of over 400 million people. So what could catalyze a, a spiritual renewal to reverse these spiritual trends while also increasing the number of healthy churches available to a growing population? We think it's two things here at Harbor. We think, one, it's helping existing congregations pursue renewal or health so that they become church planting churches once again, right? And the second is by planting many, many more churches. Church planting and church renewal together in this cycle of seeing more and more churches being planted, healthier churches being planted. So how many new churches would need to be started over the next, say, 35 or so years for there to be one church for every 680 people or so? That's about the difference between where we were now and where we were back at the end of World War I. All right, so let's say there's roughly... 340,000 churches currently across the country, okay? About 4,500 Protestant churches alone close each year. Right now, there's about 3,000 new churches being planted across many networks and denominations and Protestant churches. And about seven out of 10 of those church plants survived their first four years. So you take those stats and we need about 400,000 new churches between now and 2050 to see one church for every 680 people. That's about 7,500 new church plants each year. Those are really sobering statistics. We think they also represent an opportunity though, an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing Harbor Network's not going to plant 7,500 churches a year. If we did, <laughs> that'd be incredible. But we're not probably going to plant 7,500 churches a year. We need a lot of networks, a lot of churches, a lot of denominations looking at these numbers and, and on their knees asking, Lord, send church planters, send people, plant new churches for your glory and the renewal of people in places across this country. Which leads me to another reason we plant churches. There's not just the need for new churches, but the second reason is this is the best strategy, we think, to reaching millions of new believers for Jesus for the long haul. There are many approaches for the short term, but for the long haul, this seems to be the wisest strategy. We plant churches because there's a need for new churches, yes, but we plant those churches because it's through those churches that people hear the word of God, the good news of what Jesus has done and can experience salvation in Jesus. They can belong to a community like you all have here. They can break bread together and drink wine together. It's part of communion. They can share meals together. They can fellowship. They can spur one another on in suffering to endure and persevere in the faith. We need local church communities like that. And that's why we plant churches, to reach new believers, not just to have more churches, right? I grew up in an era where there were many creative approaches happening in the 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s to reach a lot of people. This was 
the rise of the, the big conferences, the mega churches, the televangelists that were adopting strategies to reach new believers. They saw the same problems we're looking at. But maybe instead of church planning, they said, what if we tried some things? And these, these, some of them worked effectively. But I'm assuming the process was, hey, there's a lot of people who need to know about Jesus. Let's share the good news with as many people as possible through these means. Before then, my parents' generation might have been crusades, evangelistic crusades, that were very common. Many, many thousands of people went to them. My point is church planting, I think, is a better option, though, for the long haul. Because despite perhaps lower numbers of new believers per church at the beginning, if it grows and multiplies, and those churches grow and multiply, and start new churches that start new churches and catch this vision, a vision, they'll have a community where they can hear the good news, be baptized, and be part of a, a community. This is why I think church planting is, is the best strategy for the long haul, in addition to some of these other strategies that I benefited from. I went to some of these large conferences and enjoyed hearing about Jesus. But we do think church planting is the most effective long-haul strategy for new believers. Related, it's, it's really an effective strategy, we think, and what we've observed for generation after generation after generation for three types of new believers. New generations of believers, new residents to a location, and new people groups that arrive in locations. So new generations. Um, I think church planning is the best way to reach new generations for uh, Jesus. Growing up, as I mentioned, in an established Southern Baptist church, I watched many of my friends struggle in their high school and college years with our church. Because my dad was a pastor there, I didn't have the luxury of exploring other options. We were there five days a week, it felt like. But for many of my friends, I watched them step away, and they weren't stepping away from the faith so much as they were stepping into new church plants that were starting in downtown Atlanta. So they weren't leaving Christianity, but they were looking for a new expression. And you could say, well, that's foolish or that's disappointing or discouraging, especially if you're pastoring an established church where you're seeing the new generation, the next generation, a younger generation leaving those churches. Well, interestingly, what's happened is as they've grown into the 30s and 40s, a lot of them have come back to established churches, allowing church plants to reach their children for the faith. And this circle continues, and it's something we've observed in many cities and communities uh, throughout the last 40 years or so. We've also seen this reverse in Louisville, where many young Christians have come to our church from established churches in the city. When they grew up in them, they enjoyed a lot of the ministries, the children's ministry, the youth ministries, robust college ministries. But as they stepped into their mid-20s, they thought, I, I need to try something different. And they went to Sojourn Midtown, where I'm one of the pastors, and they came to our church, and we had phone calls from the parents going, hey, our kids are, are coming to your church. And we said, well, we can send them back. What do you want us to do? And they would say, no, I, I'm glad they're hearing Jesus every week. It's not what we prefer, but I'm glad they're hearing Jesus. And so some of their parents would actually come to some of those evening services and begin to check out what God was doing, even as they were part of and members of another church in the community. It's not just young people, though. Uh, Rick Warren, he planted a church for the boomers and uh, outside of Los Angeles many, many years ago. He was reaching a very specific type of generation that had come to faith in the Jesus movements of the 70s and early 80s and didn't have any church they felt like was welcoming to them. And so he started one and it grew. 
and it bore fruit. And so does this mean that all older churches can't reach younger generations? No, I'm looking around here and this church is full of a really healthy mixture of ages from little babies all the way through college and, and adults. Does this mean that churches should not strive to be multi-generational? Absolutely not. Multi-generational churches are healthy because the church is described as a spiritual household and households need all generations of believers. And so it's not to say these are the only ways. These are false dichotomies that we need to resist. It is to say though that church plants can and often have reached new generations of believers very effectively. They also help reach new residents into an area, often better than existing churches. I was just down in uh, Fort Myers in the Naples area, sitting in an elder meeting where they were discussing a new church plant in a new neighborhood outside of Naples, Florida. Now, Naples has a lot of churches, but this is a brand new community that's being started with a brand new development about 20 miles outside of Naples. So the way that these elders and uh, the, the leaders of the church are thinking about this is, hey, they're, they're gonna need a church. This is a live, work, play community. They're building a lot of development. Thousands of people will be moving here in the next five to 10 years. They are going to need a church. Church planters really salivate at the opportunity to plant a church in those kinds of communities. As cities like Atlanta and Houston have sprawled outward and the suburbs have, have grown, those represent areas where new residents are moving. They're moving from other cities and states, but they're also just sprawling outward from the urban city core into the, the suburbs and into rural communities. Those are areas that are ripe for new churches. And that's why we plant churches in some of those new areas. But church plants also reach new people groups really, really effectively. The nations are coming to America, are they not? Unless we want to close our eyes to the reality that our country is growing in ethnic diversity in almost every category, it's, it is the reality. And these people groups don't have churches. They will need churches. They will need pastors who speak their language, who are bilingual in many ways, who understand both this culture and the one that they're coming from or they left behind. These new people groups are gonna need churches. This is what happened in Louisville where suddenly we realized there was um, hundreds of refugees coming from a, a small part of Congo, the Sayuni people. They needed a place to worship. They had a pastor. So we said, we'll open up a part of our church while we're having gatherings and you can meet here on Sunday afternoons at two o'clock. And about 100 of them come every Sunday to worship in their own language. That's what we're talking about. There's, a, there's gonna be a need for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches like this. But it's not just ethnic people groups. There are kind of subgroups of Christians that enjoy going to a church where they feel uniquely welcomed. For example, Sojourn Church 22 years ago was started as a church for artists. And those who felt out of place, uh, creatives um, in normal churches. And so Sojourn was launched as a church for artists and we've since grown and, and multiplied and there's a lot of other types of folks, but at the beginning it was about 200 artists that just loved being with other people to say, hey, the church hasn't left artists and creatives behind. There's a place for us. And so new churches reach new people groups. They reach new residents of locations and they reach new generations incredibly effectively. And so we put all this together, new church plants, reach 60 to 80% of their people through new conversions, okay? You reverse that, established churches, on the whole, 
see about 80% of their growth from existing believers who come from other churches. Those are, not, those are not bad things. It's just to say if we're thinking through a strategy for reaching new believers, those who don't know anything about Jesus, but we want them to out of love, church planning is one of the best strategies. It does not mean you cannot come to faith here in this church on this day. God can do whatever he wants in any churches. It's simply to say, if we look at the stats, 80% of new believers are coming to new churches first. And so we look at that and we go, Lord, let's plant a lot of churches together. Let's plant a lot of churches together. We want millions of new people to hear about Jesus. And this is, this is uh, what brings me to my third point. It's not just new churches that we need. New believers. We also need renewal. Renewal. We have this value in our network, renewal-driven mission. What does that mean? It means as, as we are renewed inside our hearts and minds to the gospel of Jesus, that that renewal is going to work through our marriages and our families. It's the way the Spirit works. He brings inner renewal that works in outward expressions. And as we are renewed and our families are renewed, we come to a, a congregation like this and your congregation is renewed. And what happens? You all gather together, experience renewal through the, the teaching and the preaching and the sung word of God through communion and through community. And then you what? You scatter, you scatter into the community. You do your jobs, you work faithfully, you represent Christ not only in word, but in deed, but also in the way that you go about your work, which seems to be, by the way, the emphasis of the New Testament with our vocations. It's much more about how we go about them in the spirit of Jesus, the aroma we give off as we do our work for him than it is what we do. Seems to be a lot less emphasis on what we do than how we go about it. This is how renewal works from the inside out, and that's how churches are started, because out of that renewal, out of a congregation experiencing health and renewal, there will be, there always have been, church planters that arise from that midst, uh, and more churches are started. That's, that's the cycle of renewal-driven mission. And that's what we long to see in Harbor Network churches. So 125 churches with this vision, this heart, preaching Jesus every Sunday, we're not gonna be able to help ourselves. There's gonna be new churches that are planted. We need the spirit to breathe life into this. Here's an example of maybe how all this comes together. There's a church that uh, I just mentioned, Summit Church, down in Fort Myers in Naples. They planted 20 years ago out of a First Baptist Naples congregation. And at first, the, the sending church was reluctant to send them for all the reasons I mentioned a few minutes ago, that they would lose people, they would lose resources. Three of these, these guys that wanted to plant were on the church's staff. And so it was gonna be a, a big sacrifice for the sending church to send these five guys to go start a new church in a new part of Fort Myers. Florida Gulf Coast Atlantic, it was a college that at the time was, was brand new and starting to experience some growth. And so these church planners, uh, these young men and women felt like, hey, if we plant a church in this area, we think it will be able to reach these college students and eventually their families as they find homes in this part of Fort Myers. And so they planted. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. They planted and the church, the church grew and the church started to grow so much that they planted a second congregation and a third congregation in neighboring communities as families were settling, finding jobs and having children, and the church grew and grew and grew. And now 2,500 people worship there on a Sunday. They've planted eight churches around the region of Southwest Florida, and they give faithfully of their time and their resources to our network. But the other thing that's happening is as they started to plant, 
they challenged the other churches in the area to think about their own strategies for reaching their people in their neighborhood. This is what Church Plenty does. It's, it's a way to reinvigorate the R&D thinking within elder teams who may have grown stagnant on mission because it challenges them to go, wait, what is this new church doing 10 minutes down the road, 30 minutes down the road that's reaching people that we are not? And that self-reflection is healthy. That is good. We would say that's good for people in general, but it's also good for churches and elder teams to think about those things. And so sure enough, churches approach them and say, what are you doing? How can we help? And what's happening is the ecosystem of churches is getting healthier and healthier in Fort Myers, where some would say, hey, we're not going to reach that generation, but you can. And vice versa, our church, Summit Church, is saying, we're not going to reach these folks, but you're doing a great job. So how can we help you do that? And now what's happening is through that renewal, Hurricane Ian comes and just flattens the area. And, and now because of this ecosystem, those churches are pulling resources. And our church, Summit Church, is the hub for receiving millions of dollars right now from all over the area and then scattering it through to help people and families in these churches. Not just their church. And churches all around the area rebuild homes. That's, that's renewal. It's businessmen saying, I don't know what to do here, but I can get you 750 sheets of drywall and deliver it, and you guys can use that for free. It's the renewal. That's a renewed person saying, hey, I want to be a part of what God is doing, both in word and in deed. In this season, we need our community to be rebuilt. This is what church planting does. It brings renewal. It forces people, it forces us to think beyond the walls of our church, beyond the walls of our homes, and to think God is building a kingdom that is much bigger than us. Praise God that we're a part of that in a small but meaningful way. Now, the last thing I have for us is actually God's word. Some of you may be sitting there going, he hasn't even opened the Bible yet. So uh, my Bible's here, I will open it, uh, to Matthew 28. The last point here is the need for new churches is because, or one of the reasons we plant churches, we think it's one of the most effective strategies for advancing what we call the Great Commission. So turn to Matthew 28. If you're not a believer, you're new to church, these few verses are a commission that's given by Jesus to his early disciples. It's given in all the gospels in some shape or form at the end, right before Jesus returns to heaven. And it's given in Acts chapter one, verse eight in a different way when he, when he encourages the new believers, the disciples there to move the gospel out through Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Read with me in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's no command in the scriptures to plant churches. That shouldn't discourage us from planting churches because there's not a lot of commands for a lot of things that we do. For example, a lot of the men in my church growing up told me that the Lord has said, you cannot wear a hat in this church. And let me tell you, the day I found out that that's not in the Bible was a glorious day. I started wearing my hat all the time. But like those things, we need to study God's word 
And I'm going to run down really quickly for those taking notes. These verses are going to pop up on the screen. I think this will be recorded so you can go back and read these. But we have to search God's word to make a case. Because even in these three verses, there's no explicit command to, say, church, plant churches. The main verb in this is to make disciples. The participles that follow of baptizing and teaching support this idea of making disciples. But there's no plant churches to make disciples verse in the scriptures. So how do we get and make a biblical case for church planting. There's lots of different ways. Let me give you some of the thought process that goes through my mind as I do it, starting in the parable of the sower and the parable of the mustard seed. If you've been a Christian, you read some of the parables in Matthew and Mark and Luke, you will remember these stories, this idea that as the seed is sown, it lands on different types of soils and it produces fruit or it gets choked out or it never makes it into the soil. And it's a parable for the word of God being sown, the preached word, the gospel being sown and landing in different kinds of hearts in a gathering like this or when we evangelize in different ways in our normal walk of life. And so as Jesus is teaching in parables, another one comes up, this idea of the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed that we, that we drop in the ground and the mustard seed doesn't do much and it's a slow growth, but as it grows, it, it becomes this big tree that houses birds and different animals, this idea that the kingdom of God grows at a different pace and in a different way than we're often accustomed to seeing things grow. And so you, you read these and you go, well, how will, people, how will people hear this seed of the good news and who will tell them and how will a tiny mustard seed grow into a huge tree? And you're left with questions and we keep reading. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Christ says this to his disciples, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So how will he build his church? There aren't any churches yet. Maybe people will hear through his church, but isn't a church a people and not a building? Isn't something happening where Jesus is bringing something new? He is. So this is one of the early references in the gospels to church and not the old covenant. Then we get to this, this verse, which we just read the making of disciples across all nations. And we see this, for those taking notes, also in Mark 16, verse 15, in Luke 24, at the end, and in Acts 1-8. This is the Great Commission, what you're seeing on the screen. And so how were those early disciples supposed to do this, we must ask, by themselves? What happens when they die? Who will continue this Great Commission into the next generations, into the next generations? Well, we keep reading the scriptures. We get to the book of Acts and the early church begins to multiply through suffering. And so by Acts chapter five, verse 42, we read this. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So what do we see here? So now these new believers have been filled with the spirit in the early chapters of Acts and are growing and multiplying in numbers daily through the preaching and teaching of Jesus utilizing existing structures like the temple and in their homes. And they're going from house to house, sharing and preaching and teaching and eating and sharing possessions. They are fulfilling the Great Commission in its earliest forms. And we keep reading in Acts chapter 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greek-speaking non-Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned 
to the Lord. And so now we have new believers that are not just among God's chosen people, the Jews, but now are part of the non-Jewish speaking world and are scattering across Asia because of the persecution from the Roman government. So by Acts 15, we keep reading, we've got a good theological debate brewing among the churches because what would church planting be or any church be without a good theological debate? So they asked for help from those, uh, the, the original apostles. They settle that and they send word to the churches, here's what you are to do. And then we get to Paul's letter to Titus, a young uh, church planter and pastor. And he says, look, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town. So now we've got a new church in Crete. Paul has come and started the thing. And like many starters and founders of organizations, they just create pure chaos. But, you know, they leave it and something started. And Paul's like, hey, put what's there in order starting with appointing elders and create a congregation in Crete. And I'll come back and I'll see how you're doing in a couple years. This was Paul's typical strategy. Get it going, appoint elders, gather a church body locally, and then he moves on to start new churches. And then by Revelation 2 and 3, we see seven churches around Asia being commended and corrected by Jesus, apparently having been around long enough by this time, about 30 years, to show both spiritual fruit as well as to develop some, some things at, the, at a church that need correction and rebuke that only Jesus can bring. Things like they've lost their first love or they've stopped confronting false teachers or they've stopped doing good works or they've become lukewarm in their faith. Reminders that all of us need. So we put all this together and somehow in the middle of all that, it seems like the, the underlying thread, the assumption of Jesus is that the church would always be the vehicle through which this great commission would find expression. This, this structure, this trellis, if you will, where the vine of God's kingdom would grow and multiply and reproduce through the Holy Spirit. And so while there's no passage that says we need to plant churches, I think we can faithfully and clearly deduce from just this brief body of biblical support that starting new churches was how the early church would grow and multiply and order itself. And we think this is God's primary strategy for advancing his kingdom. So in the words of the great Mandalorian, this is the way. It's not the only way, but this is one of the most effective ways we can reach new people across this country. And this is why our shared passion within Harbor Network Churches is to then provide safety and support to these new pastors these new church planners, the church leaders who are on the front lines of leading these churches to help them launch new churches well. It's really hard to launch something new. It's really hard to launch a new church and it's not getting easier. And as those churches survive their first three, four, five years, then they need help leading and growing and maturing that church. And then they need help at the right inflection point to go, how do we send and start new churches? This is our, this is our mission and we're gonna keep doing this, Lord willing, until Jesus comes back or we're dead. And we pass this on to the next generation so they can continue this work that God has started 2,000 years ago to bring renewal to people and places everywhere through King Jesus. And so until that day, we all have a role to play. Most of us are not going to sit around a table in a pastor school in church with other church planners and dream about church planning. Most of us don't do anything at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> so... Most of us are not gonna do what I did 13 years ago. We're not gonna be around this kind of culture of church planting. Most of us are not gonna actively plant churches. 
But someone in this congregation today might be feeling a call to plant a church one day. And if so, you've got pastors that can help steward that early calling. These men are praying that the Lord would help them start what would be the fourth church plant in Redeemer's 35-year history. Many of you may not know, they've already planted three and are longing to plant more churches so that every man, woman, and child in this area and beyond would hear and experience the good news of Jesus. But most of us are not going to plant a church. And so what's the, what's the role for those of us? Here's a couple things as we close. One, I would encourage you to thank a church plant. This is a good opportunity to be reminded that you would not be here unless someone planted this church 35 years ago. Your kids would not hear about Jesus right now in the classrooms down the hall in the other wing if someone had not planted Redeemer. You would not hear this kind of music. You would not hear children up here who are part of the next generation of believers and church leaders if it hadn't been for someone saying, I will respond and take the good news in this part of Chesapeake. And so maybe take a few minutes just to thank the Lord. Maybe write a note, find out who you can write a note to, but thank someone who has planted a church that you've been a part of. Without them, you would not have enjoyed that church. You can also visit a church plant. The good news is we've got one right down the road in Norfolk. Charles Shannon is the lead church planter there and is planting Mission Church right down the road, a Harbor Church plant. Just go visit, take a Sunday and go visit. See what it's like to be a part of a gathering of less than 100 people that's planting a new work. It, it's fascinating. And it will deeply encourage Charles and his wife, Jackie, and those young leaders. Your community group, maybe your community group here can adopt a church planner in Harbor. Let us know. We've got about 30 of them that we financially support right now each month. And we've got about 15 to 20 who are open to plant churches next year and in 2024. You can adopt a church planner. You can send care packages. You can pray. You can email them regularly. Hey, we're praying for you. Anything you need. There's so many creative ways you can do that. Of course, you can give. Portion of your giving, 3%, right now, goes to Harbor every month, as Eric said. And above and beyond that, we're going to need, we're going to need millions and millions of dollars over the next 20 to 30 years to plant this many churches. Above and beyond giving. I had a great idea the other day uh, for uh, uh, giving. Basically, it was, uh, I ran it by a couple members of our staff. I said, hey, what if we had a campaign? I was like, make Harbor Network Giving your number two. And I, I shared it with them, and they looked at me blankly like, we can't have a campaign that says make Harbor Network your number two. Do you understand the connotations of this? So some of you still don't get it, but you will later like, oh, number two, okay, yeah. So we trashed that idea, but the idea behind it was to say, look, we want you faithfully giving to your local congregation. And beyond that, what if Harbor Network became one of your top two or three next giving opportunities for those who have the margin to do so? I think we could do more with more. And we're going to need more to do more. And I believe that God can provide. And you'll have an opportunity in a few minutes. And I think the last, the last thing for us to remember, none of this moves forward without prayer. Nothing happens in the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of God, without his people praying fervently and regularly and specifically for God to do what only God can do. So I invite you, if you do nothing else, as you're, as you're going about your day, as you're driving to work, may the Spirit prompt you just to pray, Lord, raise up new church planners. Lord, help our church planners. Sustain them through your Holy Spirit. Strengthen them, especially on Mondays when they are discouraged after a long day of ministry, thinking they, they aren't doing enough. 
Their church isn't big enough. They don't have enough. Pray for those planters on Mondays. Pray for them every day. Pray the Lord would work in this congregation. In Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, Paul is on his knees. He has just given a theological treatise on, on all the riches we have spiritually in Christ. And he's about to give them three chapters worth of things now to do, to live this gospel out. But he pauses in verses 14 to 21 on his knees, and he just begins to pray. I thank my God. I thank my God that, that in all these things that they would experience the riches of you, that they would have strength, your church would have strength to comprehend with all the saints the height and length and depth and breadth of God's love for you in Christ Jesus, that you would be rooted and established in this love and that you would have strength, that you would have strength to imagine infinitely more, infinitely more that God could do than we often think he's able to do, infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. But first we must ask. So let's ask the Lord to do what only he can do to plant thousands of new churches, to strengthen the churches that are already existing, to raise up a new generation, of church planners for his glory and our good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to share what you were doing, the small work we're doing across our network. But everything in your kingdom feels small at first until we realize that you've been working to create something much bigger than we, can, than we can imagine. And so would you take our efforts and would you establish the work of our hands? Would you bless and multiply our labors? Would you hear our prayers and respond? We ask that you would do something that only you can do. And along the way, help us to build something that can help provide the support safety our churches need to start new churches to see them led well and to see them multiply lord do it bring renewal bring revival even we ask this in your name lord jesus amen